When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 208. Well, just ahead, can the newly emerging build-to-rent business save home builders from rising rates? Plus, advanced auto parts having some real problems. But is the problem the industry or just a crummy company? And measuring the health of the economy with an inside look at some of the successful malls some of the nation's fastest growing cities, Whitestone REIT CEO Dave Holloman joins us. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy to use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A I E R A dot com. And you can listen to the Drill Down podcast on any of your favorite podcast platforms, including Player FM, Listen Notes, Deezer, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Amazon, Audible, Stitcher, Pandora. Isaac, I still can't do the whole list with one breath. It's so long. It includes Apple Podcasts and, yes, Spotify. If you don't like the way you're listening to it now, there's lots of options available. But make sure to hit the subscribe button catch every show. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to the Drill Down. We explain the business stories behind stocks and a move. Joining me as always, executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, thanks for uh, being here today. Uh, Corey, thanks for having me. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? I want to start with a home builder, Hovanian. Hovanian trades under HOV. HOV shares have dropped over 6% this week, but they've climbed 47% over the past 12 months. So what's going on with Hovanian? Hovanian. Hovanian, uh, and, and the stock uh, uh, down 11% after announcing earnings uh, that were disappointing and, and uh, some future growth prospects that sound disappointing. Now, this is a big company. It's uh, uh, While it's only a 500 million market cap with about a billion four in debt and a little bit of cash, it's got about a, almost a $2 billion enterprise value, $1.7 billion to be exact. Um, this company uh, builds homes all over the country, uh, in the Northeast, uh, uh, Southeast, Southeast, in the West, Arizona, California, Texas, as well as, you know, other places, right? So uh, what's interesting here, though, is that they are really pushing hard in a rising rate environment, or at least a higher rate environment, that's seen um, uh, some pressure on certain home builders. They've had some success with build for rent. What is build what for is rent? That, what, yeah, what does that mean, build for rent? Ooh. What does that mean? I was glad you were asking. I was waiting for you to be asking. Well, build for rent. I'm so glad you asked, Isaac. Uh, build for <laughs> rent. So it used to be real estate investors would buy a house. If they wanted to uh, have a rental property, they'd buy a house from a builder or from another homeowner and then turn it into a rental property uh, instead of living in the home themselves. But build to rent real estate uh, takes rental properties, um, investing to another level by building the house from the ground up for the specific purpose of renting to tenants. So it's not a, a, a house that was built to be lived in. It was a house that was built to be rented um, and thereby attracting real estate investors, not just individual home buyers uh, who want to live in those houses. And it's been one of the fastest growing sectors in the housing market for the last few years as rates have been uh, uh, coming up really kind of throughout the, the pandemic. 
But uh, in this environment right now, when a lot of home builders are reporting difficulty uh, with rising rates, mortgages are harder and harder to get. What's happening with build-to-rent? Well, uh, Hovanian CEO Ara Hovanian shared this. Interestingly, it's kind of followed the pattern of normal for sale communities. It slowed uh, toward the last half of 22. Uh, mortgage rates for our cus- our normal customers went up, but they also went up on the build for rent uh, buyers as well. So a lot of them uh, went to the sidelines for a bit. But as the market, uh, in fact, picked up um, at the beginning of the calendar year, it seemed like the appetite for build uh, for rent uh, investors also picked up. Uh, so we're seeing that as a good little supplement to our normal business. It is choppier though, because it depends on, uh, you know, what transactions happened in a particular month. So it'll be volatile, but, uh, overall we're optimistic about the long-term, uh, demand for build for rent. And we anticipate strategically making it a more important part of our overall portfolio. So that wasn't enough to save the company, at least uh, in the most recent quarter. But nonetheless, I think it's an interesting development in the world of real estate, Isaac, where you have these brand new homes that are built for the express purpose of rent. Yeah, exactly. I would not, I didn't realize that was such a fast growing sector of this uh, sector, sector of the I think sector. Sector of the sector. I think uh, for <laughs> builders right now, they're going to, they're going to hold on to anything that's, that's giving them um, uh, hope. Uh, because it's so hard for home buyers to get mortgages, so much harder than at least than it has been. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at our old favorite Sportsman's Warehouse. Sportsman's Warehouse, yes, trades under SPWH and shares have fallen 26% over the past five days and fallen 48% over the past year. T- talk to us about Sportsman's Warehouse. So this company was a pandemic darling because they're in the fishing, camping, and shooting business, all those activities uh, saw a huge surge in activity during the pandemic um, and that's gone away. So they reported first quarter earnings and they, they stunk uh, $268 million in revenues down from 310, the same period uh, the previous year, same store sales down 18%. Uh, and it's worth noting they opened new stores. So to have that big sales decrease, uh, not just uh, in terms of same store sales declining, but uh, having 11 more stores, but revenues were still down significantly. Now they blamed the weather. All right. Blame the weather in the All West. Right. It was raining, rained a lot. Um, although blaming the weather, whatever. Uh, fewer people doing outdoor sports. They mentioned inflation, um, uh, but uh, gross profits, you know, down. Gross profit uh, margins down um, to uh, eighty million dollars from ninety-nine million dollars uh, in the same period in the first quarter of last year. So they blame product mix, but the biggest change, Isaac. These this company sells guns, and they sell mm-hmm. ammunition. And mm-hmm. the decline in margins in the ammunition business, we've talked about it a little bit in the show, our listeners might remember, but the ammunition business was huge a year ago and two years ago. And uh, they could charge just about anything because inventory was so low. Well, the inventory's back. Uh, well, here's what CEOs, uh, the CFO, I should say, uh, of Sportsman's Warehouse, Jeffrey White, had to say. In terms of ammunition, let's talk about industry and where we're at as we sit here today. The industry is is very... Uh, full and robust in terms of in stocks in ammunition. 
the consumer is no longer buying excess boxes of ammo. They're coming in and buying what they use. They're able to find anything that they want at this point, and they're able to find you know copious quantities of it on the shelf. So there's really no uh, reactionary behavior from the consumer. In terms of the competitive landscape, you know we, we as noted, we've seen some declines in the margin profile, but I'm not seeing any aggressive promotional activity in the market like we saw pre-COVID when there was, you know, a ripe in-stock position or an overstock position. So I have yet to see aggressive promotional items. I think in terms of what we'll see going forward, it's back to a normal promotional cadence where you'll see good deals as some of the holiday seasons, Father's Day, uh, you know, hunting seasons, holiday, those types of things as we progress through those, I think we'll go back to a very normalized promotional cadence in the ammo business. So ammo, just not where it was in terms of inventory, that you can get as much ammo as you need. And uh, that doesn't lead to uh, the prices that they were able to charge during the pandemic. Um, Copious quantities of ammo. I've got no comment on that. How about that? Yeah. Corey, what's your next drill down? I'm look at uh, S&P 500. Uh, Raleigh, uh, North Carolina's only S&P 500 uh, company, Advanced Auto Parts. Advanced Auto Parts trades under AAP and shares have dropped 37% over the past 24 hours. Just a wow. steep drop down if you're looking at a chart. And AAP shares are lower by 61% over the past 12 months. What's happening? Right, so the company reported, you, know, you mentioned, you know, 37% drop in 24 hours. Okay, so this... Yeah. Sales of 3.4 billion. It's actually up a tiny bit from the first quarter of last year by opening new stores, uh, not unlike the sports and warehouse store we just discussed. Uh, but uh, same store sales down 0.4%, uh, but net income way down, uh, down uh, uh, almost 70% year over year, much worse than the lousy analysts on Wall Street were able to guess. I have, By the way, have I, have I gone off on this subject lately? But the whole notion that companies miss estimates is such garbage. Corey, companies I think you talk about this every single show. Misestimates. Okay. Every the single show. Misanalyze. Sorry. <laughs> In any case, they really misanalyzed this one because they thought profit earnings would be down 13%. They were down 69%. Uh, and as a result of not earning a lot of money, the debt levels of this company are maybe a little worrisome. I mean, debt to EBITDA now at three times EBITDA. Not a comfortable position to say the least. Uh, so who are they blaming? Well, who aren't they blaming? Uh, Advanced Auto Parts is blaming uh, that there are more new cars on the road. So fewer parts for older cars. It's blaming inflation for the cost of the parts that they're selling. They're blaming supply chains. Remember those? I do. The things that the, that the last company we listened to didn't, weren't having any problems with anymore. Well, these guys still are apparently. But something's off here. Because their competitors, O'Reilly and AutoZone, they did all right. They even saw same-store sales growth. So when asked about this, CEO Tom Greco of Advanced Auto Parts uh, to my liking, he didn't have great answers. Uh, he did, however, try to break down what was happening, at least in terms of why the professional segment wasn't doing so well for them, even as the do-it-yourselfers, the DIYers, fixing their own beat-up cars. That business was okay. Listen to uh, Advanced Auto Parts CEO Tom Greco. In terms of the sales, I mean, DIY was generally in line with our expectations. Uh, we were down low single digits in transactions, up mid, mid single digits in average ticket. We posted a positive comp, you know, generally in line. As you know, in pro, 
the goal was to invest in inventory and make sure that our competitive price index was in line with where we had targeted. Uh, we want to drive our units. We want to drive transactions. We're trying to increase our share of wallet with our existing customers, get back to where, where we were. We're actually making good progress on improving units and transactions in the quarter. We improved. We were down low single digits in transactions in the quarter, uh, but that was a, a nice improvement from where we were at the end of last year. So we're getting more jobs with our installers. Uh, the challenge is twofold. Uh, we're not getting enough lifts yet, so it is taking longer uh, to recover share of wallet with our existing customers. That's been the biggest issue that we face so far this year. Uh, we're going to stay at it. It's taking longer than we'd like, though. And then, in terms of our average ticket in pro, it was up low single digits, which is significantly below how we planned that business. And as we look forward, you know, that's going to be a big P&L headwind for the years. So headwinds are the worries here that, that this lousy quarter is going to be followed by more lowering guidance. Uh, again, talking with their average tech ticket prices, not up a lot uh, given where inflation is, uh, but just kind of bad results from this company suggesting that maybe it's not just a bad environment, but maybe a bad company. All right. Strip malls. They aren't working for everyone, but they are working for our next guest, Whitestone REIT CEO, Dave Holloman. Now, his malls in the Southwest and Texas, they are seeing rents surging right now, despite inflation, despite uh, worries about the economy. Something's working at these malls. What is it? We're going to dig into their business and see how it's working with Dave Holloman of Whitestone REIT right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We're joined right now by Whitestone REIT CEO, Dave Holman. Uh, joining us from Houston, probably? From Houston, yes, sir. Is that, uh, our, our listeners cannot see us, <laughs> but it looks like over your shoulder is a giant cash register, a golden cash register. Uh, that is correct. Uh, the listeners can't see us, but I do have a, a cash register behind me in my office. Is, is it a side job? What do you, you know, <laughs> is this REIT thing doesn't work out? No, just a, a remnant from the past. It's interesting. Uh, my friend Tom Siebel has a a, a Turing machine, uh, a, a keyboard from the you know the original Enigma machine uh, that uh, cracked the codes uh, in World War II. And um, and I was once short a stock where the CEO of a gaming company in Las Vegas had a Wall Street sign behind his desk, which suggested to me he was more focused on the stock than the <laughs> business. But you were focused on your business. Um, which sounds like a bad business to be in right now, and that is managing commercial real estate in 2023 in this REIT. Uh, make the case for me that your business, which has uh, been thrown out baby with bathwater, uh, is different than the, the, the plight of some commercial real estate. Well, first of all, Corey, thanks for having me on, and it's a, a pleasure to join you today. Uh, it does seem like uh, commercial real estate's often in one category in the headlines, uh, what I'd like to, to share with you and your listeners today is how Whitestone is, is very different, and there are very different types of commercial real estate, even though the headlines today seem to lump all of that together. Certainly true. Uh, so uh, let's talk about um, what type of real estate we're, we're commercially we're referring to. 
Sure. Uh, Whitestone REIT. Uh, we are uh, focused on shopping center. Uh, shopping centers typically 100,000 square feet. Uh, we operate in Texas and Arizona today in uh, really the largest and fastest growing MSAs and then look to have uh, shopping centers extremely well located, embedded with neighborhoods, and then put together a, a great mix of tenants. Uh, would those tenants include, uh, I don't know, there's a bridal company that went under a few weeks ago, Bed Bath & Beyond as well, you know, uh, even uh, tenants that were once popular aren't anymore. How, how do you manage that and what is the duration of your leases? How does that compare to industry norms? Yeah, uh, great question. So uh, maybe I'll just roll back and uh, back a few years when I think about our space and the activities that's gone on. Uh, a number of years ago, REITs in this space tended to, to fill up centers with big box, hard goods and soft goods retailers, try to keep their expenses low. And there was some su success in this, you know, in the more static world with lower inflation, lower interest rates. And, and most of these REITs signed long-term leases with really you know flatter rate structures but over a long term and the pitch was was safety uh i don't think that's turned out to be entirely true uh if you you know if you signed a 15-year lease with bed bath and beyond or toys r us and you wake up 15 years later in a different world than when the lease was signed so at whitestone i, I think our core thesis is we believe that active management uh, really can provide higher returns. And there's a lot uh, that we can unpack in that, but uh, with that, we, we have smaller spaces, we have shorter leases, and we love to, to be very active in the real estate. Uh, we put a lot of time in and knowing the, the consumer, uh, trying to identify trends, find out what's coming, not what's here, uh, look to put together a tenant mix that complements each other, and then uh, from a lease structure perspective, as you asked, we love, we love the shorter leases. I think in terms of uh, kind of gardening, uh, at times you nurture your success and sometimes you, you weed. Uh, you know, both are critical activities. So Whitestone believes in, in active management, uh, love putting together a well-curated tenant mix. But I would say our core thesis focuses on active as opposed to historically a little more passive in our space. Well, so let's let's talk about that because that's been um, both internally in your SEC filings. You talk about the duration of the leases and the the risks that that can create, and that's certainly been a criticism of the company, or at least questions raised. Which yeah. which uh, and I, I I'm not I would, our listeners know I won't dance around it. I'll, I'll call a spade a spade. Um, short leases expose you to changes in the economic cycle, which is good in the way up and bad in the way down. Is is that fair to say? Well, I think it's I think it's it's fair to say, but I will tell you, uh, you know, part of my philosophy is, and and part of my style is, I I believe in in being very truthful and identifying problems and handling them. So if you think about uh, signing a long-term flat lease, you may feel good, but there may be underlying issues. So I would rather have the opportunity to actively work with tenants, have shorter leases. In good times, obviously, those businesses are succeeding. We're able to, to push our rents up. In, in down times, I would rather be able to, to, to work with a tenant, uh, try to help them in their business, but if ultimately they don't make it, be able to replace that tenant. So we believe that uh, shorter leases allow us to be active in both uh, good and bad times. And I'm not a believer in, a, you know, in bad times having a shopping center that's got a bunch of tenants paying rent that are dark. 
I mean, we want to we want to be active. We want to move. We want to work the space. We want to be able to move tenants. The shorter leases also provide uh, less restrictions on the owner. So if you you know you think in terms of value, uh, clearly a lot of value comes from the rights you have. So we're very careful with the rights we have in our real estate. And those longer term national tenants tend to have more restrictions, more control of the real estate. So we think the, the benefits of the shorter lease and active management outweigh potentially downside uh, you know, from, a, from a shorter lease term. Give me an example of a, of a trend that you guys see coming and that you're encouraging by uh, seeing more of these, this particular company, I'll let you pick one to move into your centers. Uh, sure. Uh, I think uh, maybe I'll just start with a little bit of a trend and then go to a tenant. But I think uh, you've, you've probably heard this, but uh, in our space, um, work from home. I mean, everyone hears that the office, comp- the office, uh, what's going on in the office world these days for Whitestone and, and some of our peers that operate in suburban markets, we're continuing to see, uh, to see people orbiting and revolving around their homes more. And so, We've benefited from the trend of the, the work from home, the hybrid workforce, which I think will continue in some format. Uh, from a tenant perspective, um, I think uh, continuing to see uh, food, uh, food, I would tell you food is our largest category. And in that food category, we group grocery and restaurants. So maybe a little different than others. We, you know, I believe the, the biggest competitor to the grocery store is probably the restaurant because that's where uh, people are looking for ways to feed their families in a, in a quick way. So we continue to see uh, great uh, entrepreneurial businesses in the food category. Uh, we've had uh, some more of the Korean hot pot restaurants. We've seen some folks from the West Coast uh, move into our markets with, I think, Dozone was a Seattle-based uh, Asian concept that we've added recently. Uh, around um, fitness, uh, continue to see uh, personal fitness uh, continue to evolve and be very, very popular. I think coming out of the pandemic, there was a uh, concentration of folks on their health and wellness. So we continue to see fitness be a great category for us. Yeah, restaurants, I wanted to drill down on that a little bit because um, uh, we, we heard from on a recent show, we heard from Kraft Heinz and they talked about people cooking at home more, inflation uh, hitting them on the, in the pocketbook, uh, in, the, in the wallet, and, and therefore the pocketbook. What am I, 7,000 years old? The pocketbook. <laughs> in any case, uh, the cliches come. Uh, but people uh, may be going to restaurants a little bit less. Uh, and and I wonder what that means for you with such a concentration in restaurants. Sure. Maybe you're not uh, seeing that. No, yeah, sure. Good question. Uh, restaurants is our biggest category as far as uh, a percent of our base rent. Uh, one of the things that Whitestone has always embraced is, uh, you know, diversifying our risk. Uh, if you look at Whitestone's tenant mix, we have uh, our largest tenant is just a little over 2% of revenue. And we have about 1,500 tenants in 5 million square feet. So really from an individual tenant perspective, we, we, we manage our risk and our concentration. Uh, the restaurants that we have in our centers, we, we focus more on the family and quick service restaurants. Uh, we, and we locate our centers in, in probably higher household incomes than, than, than some of the, than the average in a community we operate in. So, so we are, uh, we believe in our centers, one of the primary factors is continues to be convenience. As I mentioned, uh, people working from home, hybrid workplaces, um, that doesn't mean you have more time. I think sometimes that means you have less time because you're running to more children's activities, you're doing more things. And so we continue to see convenience uh, drive behavior. 
and and the restaurants in our portfolio continue to do very well. I will tell you, I think we're you know we're located in 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 very good markets, probably some of the fastest job population growth markets in the country. Yeah, it, it's interesting when you look through the numbers uh, on your recent conference call. You talked about um, uh, increase in the number of leases, increase in the uh, uh, square footage, uh, or sorry, sorry, the, the average rent per square foot. Um, uh, you don't talk about traffic, and I have always wondered how uh, companies in your business measure traffic. I'm sure you do. Yeah, uh, technology in our business has changed over a number of years and is, is extremely helpful. Uh, so we use data in, in numerous ways. I mean, the, the source we use for, for traffic is called Placer AI. Uh, yeah, everybody uses it, that, right? Yeah, everybody uses it. Um, it's, it tracks your phone. Obviously, you have some app. But it gives us a lot of great info. It gives us great info on uh, how long people are staying at our centers, uh, how that particular tenant is performing compared to their other stores. Say you have a, a franchise that will let you know, is that franchise one of the top performing as far as traffic in your area, in their portfolio? It tells us where people go from your center and where they come from to your center. So that's a great thing we look at. If we have a, the traffic tells us that if they're going to a particular place, it might be a, a void or a need in our center. Uh, so we uh, we do look at traffic. I mean, Wait, one let me of jump the, out of that just a little bit more. So, yeah. uh, what the I, I get you want to see how many bodies walk into the hot pot restaurant versus the the taco place. I don't know, whatever. Uh, but um, uh, the the Cinnabon. But what are you learning if they go somewhere else? I think you're learning uh, you're learning their their traffic patterns, right? So uh, you could be learning several things. You're, you're learning where, first of all, where are your customers coming from? That would be coming to our center, right? Where do they live? Where do they frequent? Uh, so the other piece of data we use is a, a service that helps us really drill down on demographics and psychographics. Who are the consumers? What do they spend? What are the categories they spend on? So I think that data helps you understand, like you said, are they coming to our center? How long are they spending? But a bit more about their, their profile and what types of services are needed really crucial to everything we do. I mean, it's the simplest form. We're a business that provides a home for businesses that meet the needs of the community that you can't get online. So, so we've got to make sure we understand the needs. Uh, we do that. I, I think one of the things that differentiates Whitestone is much more of a local company. What do you mean? Uh, just, just because of our footprint being uh, two states, Texas and Arizona, uh, compared to some of our peers that are spread out more across the country, we believe, we fundamentally believe that that real estate continues to be a local business. It's important to to live and work in an area, know who the best uh, tenants are in various categories, and know your neighborhood. So in our markets, we have uh, all of our own people that do our leasing, do our property management, uh, interact regularly with tenants. So we believe very strongly in uh, in the value of that local knowledge. Now, in your 10K, you talk about the risk um, imposed by the inability to sell certain properties when you decide they aren't working. In your conference calls, you talk about acquiring new properties. So where are you in this cycle and what are you seeing right now in terms of prices? Are prices, let me start with, are prices on your assets and assets like yours up or down in the last six months? Uh, yeah, I'm just uh, excited that someone's reading the risk factors in our form 10K. That's uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> that, that's, that's great. You're the, you're the first you're the first CEO in my entire life who's been excited that I'm reading about risk factors. <laughs> oh, so so I will uh, I'll give you some some commentary on uh, our assets and their values. Uh, we're we're in a <clears throat> we're in a, a time that's somewhat unprecedented in, in many ways. Uh, in that there are many signs that we're headed toward a recession. There's inflationary signs but there doesn't appear to be significant stress on uh, businesses and, 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 and uh, people as far as jobs so far. Uh, so with that, uh, the transaction market for our types of products are pretty shallow. You're just not seeing in our markets, you're not seeing people buy and sell a lot of our types of shopping centers. So it's hard to get a true valuation of the, of the assets. Yeah. I mean, so, so, you know, all of us that have been in real estate for a number of years, they really enjoy cycles. Uh, it's where you make money as an acquirer and seller of, of cycles. But this cycle is a little different because the, the stress that maybe was there in 2008 with people uh, needing to sell isn't currently present. We're keeping our eye out and we think there may be opportunities for companies like Whitestone, Whitestone uh, to, to be, you know, be acquisitive in our markets uh, when the opportunities present themselves. But right now, uh, from a value perspective, it, there's not a lot of transparency with uh, third-party sales. Maybe there will be because of, of of the leverage problems that we've seen in some of the regional banks. Where, in other words, where you've got some kind of short-term credit with some of the people who bought um, uh, properties uh, on on a lot of margin, maybe can't continue to uh, handle the rising rates. Yeah, I think you're correct. I think we will see. I mean, I think you will will see. Uh, Folks that are having to deal with that, you'll see uh, private owners of real estate that uh, just it, it's too much work. You know, in a very low rate interest rate environment, it was easier. Now it's more work. And I think you'll see holders of real estate that need to raise capital. And sometimes that means selling their better assets and holding on to those those office buildings that may, you know, may wait for another day. Do you think you've got an ability to tune up certain properties? Uh Tune up, meaning uh, energize. Is that what you mean by tune up? Yeah, take a uh, 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 t- put some lips, lipstick on a pig. <laughs> sure, uh, I do think I, I think you have to be very real about that. I think, uh, as I said, you know, to me, r- real estate is a is a local business. Uh, you, you've heard the phrase location, location, location. There's a lot to be said in that. So I think it's important that you really understand. Uh, the, the trade areas, we look to a, a mile to three mile radius. Our centers tend to be necessity-based, high frequency of visits. And so uh, assuming you have a center that's in a emerging neighborhood, that the trends are going the right way, absolutely, you can, uh, you can make improvements. You can also, as we've bought properties over the years, you can do some immediate improvements that aren't, aren't super costly that matter, uh, maybe putting lipstick on the pig, one of the things is, uh, you know, visibility is, is extremely important in our business. So looking to, to, to make sure you have good signage, uh, looking to make sure you have convenient parking. So for us, it's, it's very, very important. We interact with our customers, our tenants, understand what their needs are and address those. And largely, you know, a lot of those are, are traffic related and visibility related. Interesting stuff. Dave Holman is the CEO of Whitestone REIT. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. All right, coming up next on the Drill Down the Bites, the one number that tells us a whole lot more about Whitestone right after this. 
The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. With Era, give yourself an information advantage, connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A.com. And leave us a review. Let us know how you like the podcast. Let the rest of the world know how you like the podcast. So you go on Apple iTunes or any other services and uh, tell the world what you think of the drill down. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with the drill down bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot. And uh, I referenced this in that interview, Isaac, um, the, uh, the the revenue per square foot, the rent per square foot for uh, the the shopping centers uh, at Whitestone REIT. Uh, and it's up, and it's up uh, a lot from uh, 2022. Um, uh, they're they're uh, 4.7%, which I consider a meaningful increase. That annual rent per square foot in a, for a shopping mall in Arizona or Texas? Drum Isaac, roll, ready? please. Yeah, I'm ready for it. Give it to me. $222.22. That's pretty good. I think it's pretty, I, it's yeah. a little bit higher than I would have expected in, in places like Arizona and Texas. But uh, um, uh, I think the most important thing is that that number is up. You know, we see so yeah. many headlines about, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond going under, um, you know, in San Francisco, huge headlines about Nordstrom leaving kind of the biggest shopping mall in downtown San Francisco. Yeah. Um, and, um, uh Know, big changes in retail and they're all almost always negative changes. They're never about the slow growth or yeah. never about the, the growth in hot pot hot and the pot. immediacy of parking. Yeah. yeah. Who knew? Yeah. I did not know until this conversation. Very. We should, just, we should change the name of the show. Just call it. Who knew? Who ah. knew? <laughs> yeah, maybe not. We'll stick with the drill down. Yeah. You've been listening to the drill down podcast. We're grateful for that. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. I'm Corey Johnson. The drill down is a production of the business podcast network.